It's a little-known fact that Cheerscast is a proud member of the Fire & Water Podcast Network. Well, now, come on, Norm, these, these things happen sometimes, and they, they turn out to be nothing. They just come to nothing. Yeah, we all come to nothing, Sam. I'm just going to get there a little sooner. Norman, you're jumping to conclusions now. Stop being so morbid. You know, ever since I heard this news, all I can think of is how... I may be coming to the end of my life with nothing to show for it. Well, you've got all of us, your friends, and we're going to be with you all the way through this. You bet. You mean we're going to have to have the surgery and everything, Diane? (laughs) I'm not saying I won't do it. Hello and welcome back to Cheerscast, the podcast where everybody knows your name. I'm Ryan Daly, and joining me once again is the co-host of Radio vs. the Martians and an executive producer of Cheerscast, Mr. Mike Gillis. What's up, Mike? Well, that's a loaded question. Um. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 we don't need your Cheers origin story because you've been on the show before, but I do have to ask, since you live on the West Coast, are you currently surrounded by fire and smoke? Um, smoke. Um, I, I will describe it this way. Um, years ago, my great aunt died and she was a heavy smoker. The sky is the color of what her walls looked like. <laughs> so yeah, as, as the great, uh, Ralph Wiggum said, it smells like burning. That's the, the <laughs> it tastes like burning. All right. With that, let's just dive into the show. So. <laughs> let's try to bring some, some element of comedy to what is going on with the world. Uh, we're looking at Season 3, Episode 11, Peterson Crusoe. This episode is written by David Angel, directed by James Burroughs. The original air date, Thursday, December 13th, 1984. Norm shambles into chairs looking white as a ghost after an insurance physical found a suspicious shadow on his chest x-ray. The rest of the gang try, without much success, to buck up his spirits, until Vera calls and gives Norm the good news that the x-ray was flawed and he's more or less healthy. With a renewed lust for life and happiness, Norm forgoes a celebratory beer and walks around Boston smelling flowers and vegetables, in some cases, and befriending birds and small animals. That night, he returns to Cheers to tell Cliff and the others that he is quitting his new job and sailing away to Bora Bora to live on the beach for the rest of his life. Meanwhile, Carla calls out Diane's poor waitressing, so Diane initiates a contest between them to see who can earn the most tips before closing time. Diane wins the contest thanks to a generous tip from an elderly couple celebrating an anniversary. Carla is gracious in defeat, but over the next week she guilts Diane into falsely confessing that she cheated just to spare Carla's dignity. A week after Norm left, in which the gang has been receiving letters and postcards from him, Sam discovers Norm has been hiding in his office the entire time. Norm chickened out before getting on the boat to Bora Bora and has been too ashamed of how his friends would react to seeing him. 
When Sam convinces Norm to reveal the truth, the gang is outraged at first, and then predictably ashamed. When Norm refuses to leave the office, Cliff talks him out by confessing his own preposterous dream that he never lived up to. At last, Norm comes out, and the friends reconcile over beers. All right, Mike. Uh, when I thought of you for this episode, I was thinking, you know, one of the times Mike was on the show, we talked about Diane's dead cat, and that was pretty heavy and kind of depressing. So let me give him a light and fluffy episode. I was like, oh, yeah, Peter Singer. This one, Norm is talking to a small bird, and he's hanging out in Sam's office. This will be fine. Yeah, he's I, like a Disney princess. Yeah. And then I watched the show, and I was like, oh, yeah, there's this really serious health scare at the beginning of this one. Yeah, Mike, Mike might be able to relate to that. <laughs> yeah, um, probably for the sake of transparency, I should mention that last year I had a medical scare of my own. I had a cancer diagnosis. I was um, diagnosed with testicular cancer and spent six months dealing with that. So, I mean, there there are elements of this episode I can relate to because it doesn't really matter what kind of health scare you get like that. There are certain words like cancer, for instance, that they shut your brain down and your brain goes into some weird, crazy emotional places and it takes a while uh, to rein those emotions in. And it doesn't really matter how treatable or common uh, your cancer is. It's still the C word. And I, I think this is one of those places where fiction has mostly failed us because when we deal with this stuff in a fictional context, um, bad net- medical news in a TV show or a movie is always life threatening. Nobody gets a cancer diagnosis and then just has to go and get a bit of, you know, a cancerous dot scraped off of their arm. It's always this long physical decline where they're just grappling with, you know, all these heavy feelings or have a crisis of faith or something. And that stuff piles on you, you know, because, I mean, imagine Norm's in that same place, which is, you know, the only, you know, frame of reference you have for this often is fiction. And you're just like, oh, my God, I'm going to die. And you immediately catastrophize. And you do go through that, that bargaining phase. And it it usually is only when you kind of go public with the fact that you have one of the treatable cancer that you, uh, you realize how many regular, normal, alive people that you have in your life who've gone through that too. And you realize that a lot of this stuff is more treatable than you do. And that's when your emotions start to kind of rein in and you realize that, you know, I don't need to sail off to Bora Bora. I don't need to, you know sit in a vegetable garden and make friends with all the little woodland critters, you kind of come back to it and you sort of see that with Norm here, which is that there's a point at which, you know, you're like, what am I doing? This is crazy. But you've already committed publicly. And how do you kind of come back from that? I mean, I'm I'm assuming that you took the news and you started cooking crystal meth like in Breaking Bad. I mean, at the Firewater Network, we've kind of assumed that all of your Patreon donations have been drug money related. Well, let's. I don't want to say anything. There's some ongoing legal, legal, whatever, and I don't want to get into that. But let's just say that there's a very many layered process for for cleaning out. You know, there's it's complicated. Okay. I have a guy. Let's just say. But um, yeah, I think that sometimes you do get you go to Walter White is the the more serious, dramatic, dark version of this story. Mm-hmm. But, you know, what if Walter White chickened out and was just living in the back of the high school for the rest of the series? And that would be kind of what happens to Norm here, (laughs) that Norm doesn't get on the boat. He doesn't make the crazy decision. He has that moment where, you know, sanity to a certain extent reasserts itself. But 
he's too ashamed. And I was actually thinking about that a lot. And, you know, I, I kind of went down this weird mental rabbit hole thinking about the life of Norm Peterson and his place in the world, because I think that more than any other character on Cheers, he's the one that's probably the most embodied by the lyrics of the theme song <laughs> that, you know, Cheers is a refuge to him, that Cheers is a place where he's a different person than he is anywhere else in the world, that everywhere else he's like this shy schlubby nobody he has a job where he's like a cog in the machine um if his boss notices him at all it's to yell at him but when he goes to cheers people love him you know his arrival is like announced like there's a king coming and it's everything <laughs> short of like trumpets say norm and you've got to imagine that this is probably this is a safe space for Norm. This is a place where he's not getting hassled by someone, that he's not having somebody ride him, that he's not worried about making ends meet, that the things that normally stress him don't affect him in the same way because he's kind of hit with a wall of empathy and understanding and people love him there. And if you make the sort of crazy, grandiose promise that you're going to sail off to the South Pacific and you become a laughing stock here... He's got nothing left. I mean, really think about losing that last place where, you know, if you become a laughing stock and a joke at Cheers, I mean, then it just becomes like every other place in your life. And he kind of needs it. I mean, he needs Cheers. I mean, we saw that in the previous season, you know, when he wanted, when Sam was going to have him be his accountant, but Sam sort of like, Sam chickened out on his own because he was afraid that Norm would screw up his, his taxes. And they got into a fight, and, and Norm threatened to, to leave the bar forever. And he came back into Sam's office under the guise of, like, you know, threatening they were going to fight. And Norm just broke down crying because he's like, I don't have anywhere else to go. <laughs> you know, he's like, I can't, yeah. I can't leave this place. Don't make me leave this place. So, And his true great loves in Norm's life are Vera and Cheers. I mean, and I bet you that he makes fun of both of them when he's with the other. Mm -hmm. But he desperately loves both. And I think there's something that always happens to Norm when he loses or seems to be losing one of them and it kind of breaks him in some way like he has this really delicate balance that i think as a character that he's this guy who's kind of beaten down by life he deals with it with humor and if he threatens to lose one of those two things um or he has a health scare like this that balance is thrown off and he just kind of deflates mm -hmm. you mentioned the uh the trumpeting arrival of of norm that we have seen in every episode with him walking in good afternoon everybody and the hail to the king norm cheers that he gets they they do something in this episode that they can only get away with because we've gotten like 50 episodes under our belt at this point is there like it, it begins after we come back from the opening credits cliff is like hey he's not the big guys on his way and he walks in and he's just like slowly like like looking like he's just seen death and he just kind of mumbles and everybody and the whole bar just together like norm <laughs> and then <laughs> even, even diane gets the norman like the, but like that question like are you okay like are you gonna die like such a great like reversal of what we're used to yeah, I, I really love it, and I think that's that's the real strength of this episode. And I think it's kind of, in a small way, the, the strength of Cheers, which is that a lot of sitcoms like this have a sitcom plot. This could easily be your average sitcom plot, where your, your lovable guy gets a health scare, does something crazy, and then comes back down to Earth. Uh, but what I think really makes Cheers special is that 
the characters have this entire three-dimensional human being wrapped around that central conceit of their character. Like Norm is, he's the barfly who never goes home. Mm-hmm. He's the guy who's always there and uh, will never leave. And that's not all that he is. Um, and they wrap this character around him so that when you do need these characters to go into serious topics, like, you know, what we've seen, especially at the end of last season with Sam and Diane or... Right the episode with coach or I mean you can take characters that could be silly if they were written the way you'd expect an 80 sitcom character to be written they couldn't go there but because they've built them up you know what to expect from them they become real enough people that you have expectations that frequently the audience will laugh it to anticipate the thing that's about to happen because they know them so well right. and that's what's great with norm here is that it doesn't feel forced or artificial or like an after school special or one of those very special episodes when you do when when you do an episode where he gets a health scare because that would have been the easiest thing in the world make this like an anti-smoking commercial or something <laughs> yeah. yeah and they don't and they don't also lose the the comedic element i mean because norm's coping mechanism has always been humor he always kind of makes fun of himself right but he doesn't lose it and you see him trying to to deal with it through humor and it just isn't working in the same way that it normally does. Mm-hmm. And But it's still funny. And they, they don't make light of his disease. But at the same time, the characters treat it seriously, even if it's in the context to us of a comedy. Right. And I, I think one of the ways that plays out is because the health scare itself is deflated fairly early on. I mean, he comes in, like, it's right away he mentions this thing. And within two minutes, you know, the, the group is talking to him and they're trying to give him good news and everything. Within, you know, two minutes, they get the phone call from Vera and he talks to her and he's like, she, she's heard from the doctor. And, you know, he's like, he gets the good news and he's, he's like, oh, like, he's like, you know, almost screaming. He's so happy. And he's, he's still talking to her and he's like, you're right, we do need to celebrate. What are you going to do? <laughs> he's like, no, I'll probably stay here or something like that. And so it's good. But I think from there, we're like, okay, the health scare part of this is over. So that's not going to be like this, you know, sword hanging over his head for the whole show. The real meat of this is when a character all like him, who you're right, is like the rock. He's that barfly who never leaves when this is his, you know, his sanctuary. When he, when he is able to dodge a bullet, what does it make him do? Does it change his life? And it does for a couple hours, you know? It's yeah. Like, and it's like when, you know, instead of getting the beer, he, you know, decides to go out and Cliff comes back and he's like, boy, is he weird. He's, you know, sitting in a garden saying he wanted to smell the roses. And I, it's like, that's not so weird. He's like, yeah, it was a vegetable garden. Hmm. And he's like, the last time I saw him, he was wandering down towards the pier. I shudder to think what he wants to smell down there. Down there, yeah. Oh. Yeah, I see, I love it. They managed to sort of keep it there. But again, they're not making light of it. And it feels, I, I think I've said this before, The that this, Cheers is a series that has diegetic humor. Mm-hmm. Where it, you watch a lot of sitcoms and a character will crack a joke at another person's expense and nobody reacts to it except right. the studio audience. Right. On Cheers, you see the other characters smile and chuckle a little bit when somebody tells a joke. And it isn't until you realize that almost no other show does that. <laughs> that it, it's kind of like these weird robots that are take these weird sarcastic shots at each other, and then there's long pauses, and then no, they move on to the next subject. And I'm like, what is happening? If you take a step back, we're just sort of used to that. But on Cheers, you'll see somebody take a joke, and then you'll see Sam in the background sort of smiling, <laughs> yeah, or yeah. 
Carla will react or the background characters will react as if a joke just got told. Mm -hmm. And it's so goes so far to making this place feel a lot more real. And I think that, you know, humor is going to be a part of a coping mechanism for everybody, including, you know, somebody has a health scare. It's I mean, again, like I said, this is how Norm does it. Norm, whenever he has his big entrances on any episode of this show, it's always humor about something that's bothering him. He right. finds a way to make a joke out of it. And that's how people react to it here. And um, I, I think that they managed to keep it a comedy. It doesn't become a drama for 22 minutes. It, it stays stays a comedy. I think the, the opposite of Cheers' diegetic humor, uh, the example I always think of, it, it would be sort of like the married with children thing or like, like the Fox thing that almost became a joke unto itself, whereas somebody makes fun of a joke, usually like some sort of like sexual entendre or something, and you hear the audience going, woo, and like, like oh clearly, yeah, you know, like that extreme, like that 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 reaction in itself has been parodied on other shows, so it's kind of oh yeah, teens yeah. kissing on Saved by the Bell, right? That, there's a whole genre of TV shows with the woo. My, who who were, was that Fox audience back in the nineties? <laughs> I don't know where they found those people. They probably picked them up at a bus station, but it was. That was a raucous crowd. But yeah, I think... I'm sure they are the Fox and Friends now. That's what they're doing (laughs) 20 years later. (laughs) Yeah, it's crazy. But what I really kind of like about this episode is not only... I guess it hit me in a harder way. Not just... Not because of the health scare. Mm -hmm. It's, you know, what does Cheers mean to Norm? And I kept getting back to that question. And, you know, we touched on it a tiny bit at the beginning. But it's like, well, I'm not allowed to go outside right now or near other people right now or breathe the air right now. So I can see what the refuge of a place like Cheers would be, (laughs) even if it's just as a social hub. And the other thing I really love is that Norm has technically been successfully hiding from (laughs) Sam back there for a week. (laughs) And And really just outs himself just like maybe I got a boredom or something because he just comes out eating a bag of pretzels when Sam is working and announces himself. I either he just got really lonely or he got he's so good at this maybe that norm peterson is actually secretly a ninja and has been just hopping to the ceiling you know the old um batman spider-man thing where you're above the door jam holding your hands and feet against the opposing walls um but you know either he just gets lonely or he's so cocky that he got he got sloppy yeah but the fact that he's been probably in this building for at least a week and I don't know if he's talked to Vera yet about him hiding out there. Maybe he needs her to think he's in Bora Bora to continue the lie. I'm not sure. He has a line. He's like, what he tells him is like, we can keep this going forever. You know, just every day out before you, like when you come to open the bar, you'll let me in. I'll hang out here. You give me drinks and everything. And then at the night you close, you close the bar and everything and I'll go home. And Sam is like, sort of like what we do now. <laughs> and it's Exactly. Um, yeah. I gotta say, it was refreshing seeing Norm wear something else other than his usual off, off colored like suits. Him actually like wearing like a black sweater and like blue jeans or something like that. Like dark jeans. Like, I'm trying to think. I was like, how often do you ever... I don't think we ever see him wearing another outfit like that. Like, yeah, he kind of has a costume in the way that, like, Donald Duck has a costume. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he's kind of dressed like a cat burglar when he <laughs> walks out of <laughs> yes. that back room. Well, he's got the hat on it. <laughs> like, yeah. Like, he looks like either a cat burglar or what you might imagine, like, a tramp freighter <laughs> working... Somebody working on a tramp freighter would be working. Like a longshoreman type of thing, so... And he's got this this bag of pretzels that is down to just the last two pretzels, and I have to, you know, we have to acknowledge it. 
you don't have an ongoing tab for how much he eats, <laughs> but otherwise you'd have to probably add that entire bag of pretzels to it. Oh, at least one. Yeah, if not, <laughs> yeah, if, if he's not going anywhere else, then I'm sure, you know, if, he, if he's not sneaking out to the hungry heifer, then Norm must be eating his way through Sam's beer nuts and his pretzels. Because, you know, Cheers doesn't serve food. So <laughs> this is all that he has. He has this and beer. There's probably some of the uh, the seltzer that, that Sam is always drinking back there. But there really aren't a lot of options aside from a couple basic salty carbohydrates and, and alcohol. I mean, I mean, I'm sure that's probably what he can live off of, but... You know, Norm is a guy who who takes in a lot of calories, and I don't know if I could live off of nothing but pretzels and beer nuts for more than maybe a day or two. Yeah, uh, now no, I'm actually thinking like what his day to day routine must have been. Like, I bet probably during the hours that the bar is closed, he goes out, sits at his normal stool, and like pours himself beer after beer and watches TV and does stuff like that and snacks and everything. And then during the hours when like the bar's open during operation he's probably trying to sleep back there uh just to to stay uh, like unobtrusive or unseen and then i don't know what happened he just woke up or something forgot what time it was but uh, unless there's like a crawl space or something back there that he can hide in it, in the first season harry the hat did reference there was another entrance into the bar that even sam didn't know about so maybe yeah. maybe norm found it yeah, there's got to be something. It's just very strange. But um, it just reminds me, I remember when I was working at Barnes & Noble and the news sort of came out that I guess they'd found somebody living in a crawl space at another location and that he'd been in there for several weeks taking stuff from the cafe and he had books up there and you're like, I think there was a handgun and condoms and I'm like... I don't want to do the math of all these separate pieces and construct a narrative because it's just going a place that I don't want to know. I just don't want to know. So I don't know. I don't imagine. Okay, living in a bookstore, stealing food from the cafe. Okay, all that tracks. Yeah. The gun and the condoms. I don't know. (laughs) I I don't know. I don't want to know. These are all things that just say, (laughs) you know what? There's a velvet rope here. Just leave it up. Don't cross it. (laughs) There's nothing on that side of the rope that you want to know about. Everything will make this worse. So just kind (laughs) of let it be mysterious. Um, the subplot for this episode, which begins with the teaser, um, with uh, continuing the trend that Diane is not a good waitress. She's quite bad. She gets every order wrong. And Carla calls her out publicly, uh, and they argue about this, and this leads to their competition. Uh, I love Diane has this line, I smell a wager, and Carla's like, no, you smell your waitressing. She keeps saying it stinks. Um, They have this, this competition, whoever collects the most tips by closing will win. Carla gives Diane a $10 head start, and Diane's like, that's an insult, and thank you. <laughs> and so they need an impartial judge, and Sam is quick to say, I don't care about this, no. So uh, Coach becomes the judge, and I, I love this setup. He's like, you know, if anybody suspects anyone else of cheating or doing any wrongdoing, I will make an immediate and final judgment. Diane asks, do we have any appeal? He goes, I think you're both cute as a button, but that's not going to affect my judgment. I, I honestly think that Coach would be the most impartial judge. Oh, yeah, absolutely. There. 
and he's pretty much the only person that both of them love to death. So, but I, I gotta say, Coach is pretty friggin' great in this episode. Yeah, for only having a few bits. Uh, yes, yeah, I will, I'll come back to that. Yeah, because um, yeah, I think even like even somebody like Norm or Cliff, Carla could threaten them. Carla could scare them into voting on her side, but she wouldn't do that to Coach. Oh, she never gets mad at Coach, yeah. and I think that's the thing is that Coach has that quality that mm-hmm. you just love him to death. He is the I think only character that Carla never gets angry at. No, I don't think so. He has a power. He's a whatever it is. In a lot, maybe I don't know. Maybe it's just like the 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 Sith versus Jedi version of whatever <laughs> power that Nick Tortelli has. But maybe this is the good version that he just has a power that people they want to do what he says. You know, because he's just a such a sweet guy. He's not like breathing down your neck, or you know, there's there's no dark power in it behind those eyes. He's just a, a sweet, just kind old guy. Totally disarming. Nobody wants to hurt him. Nobody wants to say anything that would offend him or upset him. Yeah, you could never imagine him hurting anybody. No, you know, he's just he's just such a sweet, genuine guy. And I I think that that's one of the few people Carla thinks that either she could she could totally like you said just bulldoze over somebody else or she would just distrust them because Carla <laughs> is not the most trusting person mm-hmm. so when when Diane wins the the contest um by getting the the tip from the old couple uh, and and you know she's like so excited that she's gonna win like, I think when they actually say that uh or coach like announces that she's the winner Dan like jumps up she's like this is so exciting and Sam goes yeah who's gonna sleep tonight that was yeah. one of my that was almost my uh, my home run for the episode and, oh that's a great one and, and Carla like turns around to look at her and like Diane like like stops herself in the middle of jumping and, and hooting to just say don't hurt me <laughs> And after like Carla like sort of like gu- like gives her the guilt trip by like being gracious in defeat, Dan just kind of mutters to herself. Sometimes there's no joy in conquest. And Sam's yeah, I haven't forgot our first night together either. Yeah, that's what I love is I think it, it's also a joke that kind of just says that the entire Sam Diane thing is done. They, that- they've done that a lot in recent episodes, and I really like this part of season three i mentioned this um i think in the last episode that there's this whole little middle chunk where you really feel like their romance is a thing of the past and they have this completely new dynamic that's really refreshing um when you see like how and and fraser isn't in this episode but like it's when when he is there and you really feel like i mean they they built fraser up and and he's this new interesting so sam just has this kind of detachment from her where he can just kind of make fun of Diane for being crazy or when she thinks that like you know Diane is fighting with Fraser's mom and he can poke all of these little holes in their relationship from this comforting distance and it's like I like this part of their you know they're not you know but you know that'll change by the end so oh yeah but it's so nice because it feels so much healthier than what we've seen between the two of them for like a season and a half <laughs> yes really then in like the first season of cheers um they have the sort of sexual tension will they won't they it's kind of like this with tension and then you see the train wreck of their relationship and when i watch season two sometimes it's really hard to watch the two of them because mm-hmm. you just want them to break up and oh my god it feels good when people act like adults <laughs> and, you know it's not like we're gonna fight over each other and it's just gonna be a love triangle or anything we're just he can, you know, Sam can sort of stand back and not be bothered by it, not feel threatened by it, not uh, be jealous. And he's just, she's become one of his friends now. And oh my God, it's nice when we get that. Right. 
I mean, season two has some of the most emotionally powerful episodes for me, I think. You know, often dealing with the, you know, the, the trauma and the abuse that their relationship will take and what they, they do to each other. Uh, there's some amazingly well acted and, and written stories in there. But you're also like, by the end of it, yeah, just goddamn break up. <laughs> Jesus, yeah. It's ju- it is, oh my god. At the end, it is just, it turned into, turns into like marriage story at the end. It is just... <laughs> It's like this is a sitcom, you know. What, what is going on here? You are and actually to... slapping each other across the face and everything. You're you're getting to this point. Oh my god! It just you feel like in almost if it wasn't a sitcom, this is going to end with one of them killing the other, and <laughs> it's like I don't I don't need this, you know. And it's it's just it's hard to watch because you like both of them. The show has done such a great job of making you like these characters, mm-hmm. so that when it gets to this point. You're just like it feels like I, I really want to leave the room because there's something very just intimate and uncomfortable about this that feels genuine and it comes from the place where their on-screen chemistry is so good mm-hmm. and they seem to trust each other so much that they can go to these places as actors and it just makes you go oh god oh god oh god I want to leave I, this <laughs> this is like leave the room material. Where I feel like I'm being a bad person if I stand by and watch this happen. Yeah. Um, back to the show. Uh, uh... <laughs> yeah, 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 this is a fun light episode. Yeah. It's like you said at the beginning. Uh, Sam is reading Norm's letter to the group, uh, the the fake sort of letter he writes from the, the from you know the, the the beach and everything with all the inserted ha ha's and everything. And Coach is like, boy, Norm really knows where to put those ha ha's. Um, Diane has this bit where she, she quotes Henry David Thoreau and says, oh. our, our life is frittered away with detail. Simplify. Simplify. And Coach asks, why didn't he just say one simplify? That was my home run. Was it? Okay. Right there. That, yeah. that is, I think that is such a brilliant joke because it's one where for a second it makes you do that kind of double take with Coach where you're like, that's actually kind of brilliant, but I also know he doesn't understand it, but it gives you that moment of doubt where you're like, wait a minute, is this guy secretly a genius? Well, the thing is, because you see that whole thought play out on Diane's face, yeah. like, when he says that it cuts back to Shelley Long, and she's kind of like, wait. <laughs> she's, she's floored. I mean, she's she like, just I had her mind I don't have blown. a response to that. Yeah, I love that so much. Oh my god, that's what I mean with Coach, too, is that I'm also trying to just soak in as much of Nick Colasanto as I can, because it's like, oh my god, we don't have a lot of time left, and it's just, it's, oh man, you feel like a time traveler, where you're just like, oh, we know that there isn't, it's like, (laughs) I can't stop any of this, and it's, it's sad, because you can also tell that it looks like he's lost some weight oh, and his yes. voice is a little bit rougher. And I'm like, no, because it's just like he so completely embodies that character that you don't want to lose him because it feels like you're losing a beloved uncle. Mm-hmm. And oh, my God, he's so good in this episode. And and uh, I mean, I'll say that he isn't my MVP for this episode, but like you, he does get my home run. And I'll come back to that one. Um, I just just towards the very end of this episode when we get like Cliff's little thing 
um, when when Norm doesn't want to come out of the office and he's like, Normie, it's your best buddy. And we just hear Norm's voice going, get away, Frank, or something like that. <laughs> and then Cliff tells the story about wanting to be a trapeze artist, you know, imagining himself up there doing the fifth, whatever, the first quadruple flip in history or something of the act. And he's like, but I became a post office, post uh, mailman and the rest is history. And they come up, they're able to like, kind of like joke with each other. And I thought that was pretty, it was a nice little fun ending for that. Yeah, that they kind of find a place where, you know, Norm's not alone in that. that They've all failed to some extent. I mean, even Sam. I mean, think like Sam is probably as close to a local celebrity that he can still get a a televised interview on local TV. But how much shorter was his career because of his drinking? Right, right. Yeah. yeah, I mean, he probably could have had at least another five years of, of playing ball, but... So they're all kind of failures to some extent. I mean, Diane would probably would have gone on and written her dissertation by now, but she hasn't. And I think that everyone like there's that gravity well that this place has. I mean, you either you either come in here already winning, like say you have the, the, the career of a uh, Doctor Fraser Crane, but it kind of pulls you down too. <laughs> I've, I've, I've said that they're, 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 I've made that mention of the gravity well that is Cheers that brings everybody down to its level, no matter how you yeah. what your degree level of education is, it, it sucks you down and makes you irregular. Fraser has a great joke about that in one of the last episodes, but. Oh, yeah. Uh, were there any other thoughts before we get into the categories? So. Oh, just the contest between Carla and Diane I think is pretty great because <laughs> if you watch it a second time, I just see it as a giant elaborate gaslighting thing that <laughs> Carla does to <laughs> Diane from the very beginning. That she has basically something to do regardless of how the contest comes out. Either she's going to twist the knife which she will enjoy, mm-hmm. or she's going to play upon uh, Diane's sense of pity and then gaslight her by make because she knows that she can get into Diane's head. Of course, and she does. Uh, and it's like the moment that happens, she can go off and go about her day, and it doesn't bother her anymore, except for the occasional little chuckle she'll get because she can see that it still will bother Diane as Diane stops literally every single customer she interacts with to plea her case that her integrity <laughs> is still ironclad. Going, and nobody going out cares. of her way, going to tables that aren't even hers to tell them. <laughs> yeah. And it's like nobody cares, but she know it's like it it's kind of brilliant. It's almost like like Carla casts a spell and it <laughs> it's really, really well done because it's so true to both of them and that they know each other well enough at this point that they know exactly how to get at them at each other. And I think Carla really has Diane's number and she knows deep down that you know Diane just doesn't have the stomach for anyone's hurt feelings and will go to go to these lengths to make somebody feel better and she knows she can use that against her and it's just just for chuckles just for shits and giggles and it's just it's beautiful (laughs) um getting into our superlatives uh oh well first for norm's tab uh this may be contested but i gave him credit for one beer in this episode the thing is, we never actually see him drink any beer in this episode. The one that I gave him credit for is served in the very last shot before it goes to black. Um, because he's offered one when he gets the good news and he refu- he rejects that, he refuses that, and he leaves. And then we see him in the back office and then he's there and he doesn't come out. So it's not until the very end when he's made up and he and Cliff are making fun of each other. Coach pours him a beer and the very last shot, the beer is in front of Norm's stool as he's about to sit down. 
He didn't drink it. He never even touches the glass, but that is a full beer in front of him that he is going to drink, so I gave him credit for that one. <laughs> so. Okay. And here's the, here's just the asterisks that might possibly be there, because I could see this coming up in the comments of how many beers Norm possibly has while he's living as the <laughs> Phantom of Cheers um, in the back room. Um, I don't know. This guy's but, the limit, uh, yeah. <laughs> it, it, it really is. I mean, I, you can't I, even yeah. count it as one beer because he's can, back there with a bunch yeah, of Yeah, I can cakes. only count what's uh, in the 22 minutes of television or what they directly re- refer to. Um, I mean, because it, it breaks the entire conceit of this segment if you count all of the things that happen off camera. Because <laughs> exactly. It, it just breaks the calculator yeah. at that point. <laughs> Speaking of that, um, for the series, Norm is up to 223. And I have to make a correction because on the last three episodes of Cheers Cast, I was giving out the wrong series totals. Um, I, I had, because I recorded a future episode early, I kind of like went through all of these, uh, and tabulated the beers in advance because I wanted that episode to be accurate. Somehow I messed up. So for that, like I jumped from like, 214 beers up to like 243 beers in the next episode. So the yeah, for the last three episodes of this show, if you've been listening to the series totals, those numbers have been off by like 20 or 30 beers. So oh, apologies for geez. that. Apologize for that. As of now, <laughs> as of episode 11 of season three, he's at 223. So. Wow. Um, for the employee of the week, um, I gave it to Norm because it's it's a Norm-centric episode because he goes through the changes from him. As soon as he walks in, you see something is different. His whole manner is so uncharacteristic. You see him kind of like he's in that depression state. He kind of lashes out at Coach very briefly. Um, and then like he's his elation when, when he gets the good news. And when he actually comes in with a bird on his finger and he's like, this is that bar I was telling you about. Um, his whole thing. I just thought, you know, this is a fun episode to root for Norm and to see his whole his whole world play out like this. So I was on the same page. Yeah. I, I also gave it to George Went as Norm. I think that this these are the episodes I think are gonna strengthen the character. They don't break the character or have somebody act out of character. This is how Norm would act with this kind of news. And it kind of it just shows the strength of the writing, the strength of the performances. I really think that God, Norm is a great character. And that I I don't know what they intended when they first kind of wrote the idea of we just have one guy. Remember the originally they only wanted to give him one line mm-hmm. in the in the pilot, and you can just see right now that they're well past him being you know just an unspeaking character that's just kind of there as an in joke. He's not just a Where's Waldo. That he's a fully fleshed out character who right. has an emotional life and um, he's still funny because I think ultimately that's that's the quality of Norm. That is, you know, my favorite, but he's just a funny guy Mm -hmm. Um, that he reacts to things with humor. He copes with humor. Um, Everything is kind of a joke as a way of of dealing and coping. And um, you get to see him kind of get challenged, but he doesn't become a different person. He just becomes a person under a lot of stress. Right, right. So he's just great in this episode. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, for, for home runs, I mentioned that it was a coach one. <laughs> it's when Cliff is talking to Norm through the door, and Cliff says, When I was a lad, I went to see the movie Trapeze with Burt Lancaster and Tony Curtis. And Coach goes, No kidding, Cliffy, did you sit between them? 
Oh, I love, see, see that's the power of Nick Colasanto, man, is that he makes you believe that he really is confused. And and the thing yeah, exactly but the thing is like I see that joke coming a mile away every time yeah. and I still laughed out loud last night when I watched it. I was still like caught myself chuckling. I was like, that's such an obvious you know coach is gonna say that. And it's still good. The delivery is just priceless, so because it's authentic. I yeah. mean, it it always feels so sincere that it, it I I love him. I he you just if there was ever a person on Cheers that you wish was a real person you could meet, it would be coach. Oh yeah. I mean, he's just such a wonderful guy. I actually have a runner up for my home run. We talked about the simplify throw quote earlier. <laughs> yeah. It's also coach and it's a moment where, you know, Norm comes in and Sam's like, you know, can you sit down Norm and he just sits down right there on the, <laughs> right the, the front, front steps, <laughs> just right in the front. And uh, Diane reassures him that, hey, we're with you. We're going to be with you at every step of this health crisis. And Coach is like, you mean we're going to have to have the surgery and everything, Diane? And <laughs> Diane throws him this look, and he's like, hey, I'm not saying I won't do it. <laughs> yes, yeah. You kind of believe that he would consider it. <laughs> I mean, it, it it's it's kind of a joke about how confused he is, but he would actually consider having a pointless surgery just out of a sense of solidarity with Norm. <laughs> There's a runner for Coach too. That a joke they use like three times, which is like, like they're like, "I'll explain it to you later, Coach." And he's like, "Everybody always says they explain it. They'll explain it to me later." And he comes back to that like three different times. When he's like, "Coach, you understand what I'm talking about, right?" He's like, "No, but they'll tell me later." And it's, it's, I love it. Yeah. Oh my! God. I think what I love about Nicola Santo as coach, and I just want to get this in because this is probably my my last chance on this podcast to talk with him <laughs> being a concern, a, a continuing character. Is that he makes you believe all these things. And his role in this show is not part of the plot. He's just jokes. But there's like a heart underneath all of it where it would be so easy to just be the dumb guy. It'd be so easy for him just to be confused by it. But he's so sweet. And you can see it in the faces of every person he interacts with where they're just like, there's a little impatience, but they love him. I, I again he would he would have surgery just out of <laughs> solidarity with Norm. Surgery he doesn't need. And that's just like that's a really sweet guy. It's misguided, but it's so sweet. Um my last other runner up, I, I mentioned it before, but it's when uh when Diane wins the contest and she's like, This is so exciting and Sam just goes, Yeah, who's gonna sleep tonight? You know? Yeah, I lo- that's what I that we talked about earlier, that detachment. Yeah. Oh, it's kind of like Sam can see from a mile away how this is going to play out and he's not going to be in the middle of it. He's already walking away. He says it from the beginning when they need a judge and he's like, can't you find somebody who gives a rat's ass about this? He's like something like this. He knows Carla well enough. He's like, nope, nope. I'm not getting in the middle of this. I'm not going to, I'm not going to pull you two apart later. So it's like, nope, I'm gone. Yeah. I love this version of Sam alone. Oh, me too, me too. (laughs) Oh, the uh, brief moment of, of, of healthy psyche and, and just enjoy it while you get it. And also, I mean, just uh, this is something else that was mentioned. Like, he, I mean, this is a type of episode where because he has that level of detachment, like emotional from the going on, he kind of comes off as much smarter than everyone else there, even the characters with more education. Yeah, yeah. I think that's always the question of how smart Sam Malone is. And I think it's he's smarter than you think he is. And I think he's smarter than he thinks he is. Mm-hmm. I think he, he reads people really well. And he definitely knows his friends. And he's just like, nope, 
(laughs) (laughs) It's like, I think that if this was season two, because he's dating um, Diane at that point, he would have injected himself. Right. He would have gotten involved, if only just to protect Diane from Carla. (laughs) But I think at this point, he's like, nope, nope, this is going to play out. I don't need this noise. Right. All right. Um, Mike, thank you again for being on Cheerscast. Always happy to have you here. Where else can our listeners find you if they want to hear more from you? Well, uh, my main project uh, is Radio vs. the Martians, uh, which is kind of like a pop culture book club uh, hosted by myself and my podcast tag team partner, Casey Doran. Uh, We're currently on hiatus right now, but we're releasing a lot of our previously exclusive to Patreon episodes. So you can check those out on RadioVersusTheMartians.com. Also, we have a side project that is also on hiatus called Podcasta La Vista Baby, which is our tribute to the movies of Arnold Schwarzenegger. Uh, You can find that on uh, PodcastaLaVistaBaby.com, iTunes, or I guess I call it... uh, what was it called? Uh, Apple Apple, podcast, Apple Podcasts. I'm too old to change <laughs> words on this. So, you know, the iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, all the regular places. All right. Thank you very much. I know that you will be back on the show before too long. Uh, thank you to all of you out there who listen to Cheerscast and support the show by liking and sharing on Facebook, favoriting and retweeting on Twitter, and leaving a comment on the website, which you can find at fireandwaterpodcast.com. You can also support the Fire and Water Podcast Network on Patreon. Special thanks to my guest, Mr. Mike Gillis from Radio vs. the Martians, as well as Rick from Jeff and Rick Presents Unpacking the Power of Power Pack and Ashford Wright from the Right On Network, who sponsor this show. For more information on how you can support your favorite show on the Fire and Water Network, visit patreon.com slash fwpodcasts. Thank you to everyone for listening, and until next time, we're closed. When I was a lad, I went to see the movie Chappies with Burt Lancaster and Tony Curtis. No kidding, Cliffy. Did you sit between them? <laughs> I must have seen it 20 times. I always imagine myself up there with them, high above the center ring. The spotlight shines upon me. Sweat glistens from my body. Below me, the woman's eyes glaze over with lust. The men, they grind their teeth with envy. I lunge at the bar with almost an insane daring, flying through the air, completing one, two, three, oh my God, four somersaults. The first quadruple in the history of the Big Top Nam. But I became a postal carrier and the rest is history. <laughs> no, Nam. Having a dream isn't stupid. It's not having them that's stupid. What's stupid is the picture of you in one of those outfits. Hey, hey, hey. Stop laughing at my pal here, all right? This man had the only dream that was more ridiculous than mine. <laughs>